With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by both Matt Collins and Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster to talk about not only the draft, but some uh, pretty depressing baseball comments from uh, the worst commissioner in the world, Rob Manfred. Uh, Today's rundown of the show, we're going to get into all those things we're going to talk about specifically in the draft class, thoughts on their strategy, we're going to grade the draft class as best we can. Talk about our favorite picks, least favorite picks. Update you guys on the undrafted or the uh, unrestricted free agents that the Red Sox signed. And um, then we'll hit up some listener questions. Um, So before we do that, guys, uh, first time we've been on as a trio in a while. How are you guys doing? Peachy. Yeah, doing great. Nice. You guys uh, got any good beverages in front of you for this uh, this? This discussion on Manfred? Because I poured myself a gin before we talk about this. I just poured a Dr. Pepper. Mm, nice. I, I probably a... should have gone with something stiffer. Bissell Brothers, I forget what it's called. Nothing mm. Gold, I think. Oh, Nothing Gold's great. Yeah, you've got... Uh, 
Real good beer up there. Now I feel left out. <laughs> All right, so let's get right into it. Um, Matt, I, I think I'm going to go to you first on this one. Uh, what were your impressions of Manfred's comments today? Uh, do you really think that there is a danger of no season at this point? Was this just posturing? I mean, what was all this by Rob Manfred? Um, I mean, I think it's, it certainly isn't an original thought, but I'm, I think it's pretty clear that this is just a stall tactic. Um, I mean, the players said over the weekend, like, we're done negotiating. You guys have the power to set the schedule. Just do it, and we'll show up. But they know. The league knows that when they when they impose the 48-game schedule, they will. the players are going to file a grievance, and the players are going to win that grievance because the agreement they made in March said owners have the power to set the schedule, but there has to be a good faith effort to get as many games on the schedule as possible. Obviously, since the league just offered a 72 game schedule, they could never argue that 48 games is the most that they could get in. Um, that's just not how math works. So um, they need to probably stall things out for another, at least two weeks to really make the 48 game or 50 game or 52 game or whatever they end up doing really makes sense and be able to argue it in front of a third party arbiter. So um, it's just, it's an insanely transparent stall tactic that benefits really nobody. And it's just the owners and Manfred as their mouthpiece kind of throwing a little bit of a temper tantrum because they haven't lost a negotiation. And honestly, it's probably been at least probably at least around 20 years since they really, lost a negotiation to the players union a players union has been losing power for a long time and so it just seems like the owners have no idea what to do that they're when they're losing a negotiation their response is just to be wildly immature and throw a massive temper tantrum and just kind of dare to cut off the whole season yeah it was pretty great i loved uh trevor bowers response to this immediately on on twitter yeah, they're making me agree with trevor bowers if that's yeah any indication of how horrible all of this is yeah, that's that's kind of where I was going with that. Is you know when when Trevor Bauer's the most rational person, you know that twenty twenty has really hit hard. Um, <laughs> but Keaton, I wanted to get your take on this as well. Um, you know Manfred's comments um, that that he made about there potentially being no season this year um, are, are contrary to what he's kind of said all along with his guarantee that there would be baseball and all these things. But there there does seem to be some small vocal minority of teams MLB teams like maybe six to eight owners or something like that maybe it's even smaller but that seems to be the general size uh, of the ownership that's actually pushing for this no season I mean what do you make of that do you believe that there are really owners who who really don't want to play this season out it wouldn't shock me if they were that idiotic but it it, I can't believe that they actually see that as a viable option or they, they wouldn't. I mean, I'm expecting exactly what Matt said, that it's just all posturing. I mean, they one of, in one of the previous um, offers that they made to the Players Association, it was 70-something games, but they were only going to pay them for 48. So the players have said they're ready to play and they just want the schedule to be set, but they're not going to take a pay cut for it. So 
MLB is just stalling until they can pay them for 48 games and make them play 48 games. That's basically just what they're getting to. Yeah. So it's it really feels like that's where we're headed. But, I mean, at this point, I, I've i been pretty pessimistic each time that um, I've been on this podcast about there even being a season in the first place. Um, I can't remember what I said last time with my percentage, but it was incredibly low. So I, I know it wouldn't shock me if there were owners that would prefer not to play. But if that's the case, then I think that drives up the likelihood that there'll be a strike in 2022 and the sport cannot survive two lost seasons in three years. It just can't. No, no. And and that's the thing that's so troubling to me about all these negotiations is, is just that it takes away from a game that uh, is, has already been declining in terms of uh, the amount of people who are watching it with regularity and its favorite status in America. It lost that long ago, but it, it seems to be trending in the wrong direction for that. Uh, and all these offers by MLB have essentially been the exact same amount of money just shown to the players uh, in different ways. So it's it's been very frustrating to look at that. But Matt, I wanted to get get back to you. Why on earth would a would an owner, one of these hypothetical owners um, that doesn't want the season to play? I mean, what do they stand to really gain from that? Because it seems like if they don't play, they're not going to get all that playoff TV money. Um, and and it seems like there's still quite a bit of money to be made before uh, the the playoffs even start. I know that there's some regional TV contract money that they could still get from that. I mean, it seems like it doesn't make a ton of financial sense not to not to want to play. Um, I mean, the teams with the small smaller TV contracts, and I'm not entirely sure how um, postseason TV money gets divvied up. Um, I don't think it's just like every team gets one thirtieth of it. I would assume the teams that are actually in the playoffs get a little bit more. I might be totally off base on that, but it seems like the speculation that I've seen is that um, some of the smaller market teams that weren't going to make the playoffs this year were the teams that would be most likely to not want a season. So I would assume that has something to do with the playoff money. Um, But I will admit to some ignorance on how, those billions of dollars are um, handed out. But I mean, I think we should add on the topic of playoff money um, in the midst of all this yesterday, they agreed to a deal with uh, Turner sports worth $1 billion <laughs> for Turner to carry one playoff series. Oh my God. It doesn't, it doesn't go into account until I think 2022. So technically that money's not in their pocket right now, but just as like an idea of what they're making in the playoffs, you can imagine what they're getting from Fox who carries uh, one round or one series every round. At least this is what they're getting for literally one playoff series. They get a billion dollars for that. It's just, it, they're such a joke. I can't hear $1 billion and not think of Dr. <laughs> Evil uh, every time. Uh, it's a very timely Lincoln. reference right there. That's, uh, <laughs> that's apt for a discussion about Major League Baseball, which is also <laughs> stuck in 1998. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and, and we even got the 1998 flashback with that great 30 for 30 last night. So got I to relive it. your childhood there, Matt. Did you end up catching that? No, I fell asleep at like 845 last night. That's a All different right, discussion. Well, Got to relive that at some point. But, um, yeah, I mean, this this whole thing is really depressing. Um, hopefully they get it figured out. But I think, Keaton, to your point, you're absolutely right. The, the broader problem here is that the players are 
definitely showing solidarity, which is not the problem. That is great. I'm happy that the players are finally showing solidarity together and they're not caving to these demands. So I think ultimately, like, that's a good thing for the sport. But you're absolutely right that this is setting up a nasty negotiation between these two sides that I have a really hard time thinking that there's not going to be a strike after the 2021 season. Lockout. Lockout. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm talking about there. Yep. I mean, I've been feeling that way for the past couple seasons, just the way that just the overall general relations between the players and the league has been, and this has just completely torpedoed it in the ground, and I've, I've never had more belief in a 2022 walkout than I do after all this madness. Well, maybe think, we'll get to see a juice trout after this, and uh, you know we'll, we'll have yeah. a, another home run era. Um, I think. Um, shit, I forget what I was going to say now. Forget it. I lost my train of thought. The idea of oh, juice trout no, I know. is too much. Yeah, it, I just like uh, yeah, that went right <laughs> to my head. Um, no, I think the thing like I always kind of thought that the negotiations were never going to be easy. I think now I'm just like extremely dreading how public they're going to be. I yeah. think this is just, like, if this was all happening behind closed doors, it would be one thing. But that every, like, two days we're getting leaks and it's just like, I don't need to hear about all this, man. It makes it Especially that one's going to last an entire year. Like it's The just, leaks are all coming from the league, too. Oh, for sure. To yeah. try and paint the players in this negative light, and it's completely backfiring. Like, it actually, actually, we'll give them credit, it was working in the beginning. But it was working up like until, just, like, ten days ago, I feel like. Yeah, it, the tide is completely turned on them, and they really overplayed that hand. I, mean, I don't understand how anyone rational at this point looks at this and doesn't blame the owners for 99.9% of what's happening right here. I mean, I know how. It's not a very nice answer. <laughs> I might not make some friends, but it's because there are certain reporters that cover this league that need access to um, people high up at, with team and league offices that are willing to paint them in a good light, and they have large readerships and so people get their opinion from that does I it won't name names but uh no not like Strasburg people probably only or anything like that. yeah people people might know who we're talking about <laughs> here, but uh and the funniest thing i said this on twitter today the funniest thing about all this well not funny i shouldn't say funny but um uh, like so the league today like right after this whole thing blew up they decided to leak very Clearly, they leaked this uh, to the AP that there was a report that said several players and staff have tested positive for uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if they had just said, like a week ago, that they don't know if we're going to be able to have a season because the pandemic is still happening and right now numbers are still going up, like that would actually be a defensible view. They could get what they wanted and still like not look like horrible people, and they can't even bring themselves to do that. Like yeah. They have such an easy out, and they still can't get this right. Well, they're, they're not real human beings, apparently. They're yeah, just, well, they're very clearly not. <laughs> yeah, automatons that want to make money. I don't know. Keaton, final thoughts on this topic before we move on to something a little bit more pleasant, albeit kind of crazy in the draft? Is that more pleasant? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know. I don't. I've exhausted it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough, uh, tough topic. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have one final word. Okay. Not really a thought, just something that's happening right now as we're speaking. Um, Rob Manfred is on ESPN as we speak right now, 
for a special that is called Return to Sports, with all of the commissioners talking about their return, their leagues coming back. That is just awful. Yeah, that's a good look for him right there. Look forward to a boom in lacrosse in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's talk about this Red Sox draft, the 2020 draft where the Red Sox were uh, were docked a pick for – still trying to figure that out. But, um, you know, didn't have a second-round pick. Uh, Heim Bloom's first draft here. Uh, another shameful example of greed by the owners here worth only having five rounds. Um but I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me about this draft, and I know, Matt, you wrote about this, uh, and all of Twitter was freaking out about this when it first happened, uh, the draft strategy here, um, which we theorized on our roundtable, we were talking about whether they should be aggressive, whether they should be conservative, uh, and they just thought very outside the box. It was very high in bloom here, but essentially what they did was they picked a, a player who had no business really being picked exactly where he was, a guy who was going to sign for, presumably is going to sign for under slot in Nick York with the 17th overall selection. Shocked everybody. I mean, I don't even know what Harold Reynolds was doing at that point, probably thinking of a, a, a Hall of Fame comparison. I'll say him. this. I can gar- I wasn't listening. I can guarantee Harold Reynolds was saying – things that were no less intelligent than what he was saying for any of the other picks. <laughs> that's, that's probably true. Um, but nonetheless, this Nick York pick like had me, this, this had me shook when this, when this pick happened, I was like, what, what is this now? Um, and then we figured out that they were trying to save money for future picks. Ultimately what they ended up with for the, this four round draft was Nick York in the first blaze Jordan in the third with the 89th overall pick. Um, Jeremy Wu Yellen with the 118th overall pick in the fourth round and Shane Drowen, uh, in the, uh, fifth with the 148th overall pick. Um, not a bad class, an interesting class, but Keaton, what did you think of this strategy of trying to save money on the first pick, uh, to use it later? Hated it. Um, particularly with this current state of the farm where they don't really have like a true standout prospect that you know people will you know learn to know um i and not having a second round pick i thought they really kind of had to make a splash uh, which i guess technically they did just not in the way we were hoping so i'm not i'm not really a fan of it i think that york is an interesting prospect but just not there there were so many more uh other names that I would have preferred, including um, one that Matt mentioned in our um, draft precap. Um, kid with two names that for some reason is escaping me at the moment. Garrett um, Mitchell. Pete no, Crow Armstrong. Armstrong. Pete Crow Armstrong. Oh, yeah. I think he went two first. Like a lot of people actually figured that was going to be the pick uh, if he was still there regardless. And that it just completely backfired. But I think... My, my favorite part of all of this is uh, York went to the same high school as Mitch Hanniger, and there's this wonderful line in uh, York's scouting report from MLB Pipeline that says, York isn't projected to go as early as Hanniger did after his college career at number 38. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, that's that's beautiful right there. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, that probably shocked Hanniger too. Um, what did you think of this strategy, Matt? Uh, I mean, I was mostly with Keaton. Um, 
for the same reasons, mainly, mainly for sort of the lack of upside at the top of the system. Um, I really thought that Garrett Mitchell was sort of that kind of perfect, like, go big or go home kind of pick, where there's honestly a pretty high bust rate with him, but if he figures it out, I mean, the tools are just so outrageous. Um, but I was kind of willing to see it out and see what they ended up getting with that saved money. Um, it was such a weird draft that it wouldn't have been totally crazy for somebody to really fall um, and them really be able to make a big pick. Blaze Jordan, I think, is exciting. It's just I'm not thrilled that the strategy ended up getting a first base only player with, I mean, albeit outrageous power, but still at least some questions with this hit tool. It's just not the profile I would have liked to see the strategy build around. Um, so, I mean, I'm willing to give Red Sox scouts the benefit of the doubt with York. Um, I, it is my understanding that they actually do very much like him. It's not just like posturing on their part. Um, but as far as the second pick, which I think was really the key to the strategy here, nothing against Blaze Jordan. I'm excited to see that power. And if he does, like if he maxes out, that's an outstanding pick. It's just, there's not a ton of margin for error with the first base only prospect and for the draft to kind of revolve around that makes me a little nervous. His best case scenario is Joey Gallo, but even Gallo could play the outfield at third base. Yeah. I mean, I'll take a Joey Gallo at first base though. Yeah. I, I totally agree with, with both of you guys on, on the idea of a place Jordan just being risky in his own right. And, you know, I was talking about this draft pick with, with Ian Cundall. Uh, we we're texting about this and Humble break. Humble break, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and basically, like, that was my exact sentiment was was the fact that his profile just has no room for error. You know, if he's he's young for the draft, he's only 17 years old, and he's always hit for power, but you're absolutely right, Matt. Like, that's the big question with him, that he has kind of struggled against elite velocity. We don't know how his bat's going to develop. Um, he's not really someone who's projected to play third at all. He wants to stick there, but like probably not. Um, that's super risky. And also that's somebody who you have two players already kind of like that in your system with Bobby Dahlbeck, who can also play more positions. Okay. And has a ton of power kind of reminds me of it. And Tristan Casas is just frankly better at everything than he is. And obviously you weren't going to get that caliber of player, but the three players uh, that went after Nick York, and this is kind of the reason why I didn't like the Nick York pick where they made it, like Bryce Jarvis, that's a really high upside college arm. Pete Crow Armstrong, even though I didn't want them to make that pick, that's a safe guy who you can pretty much figure is going to play in the major leagues with the defense already. Garrett Mitchell, like you already mentioned, that's a great option. Nick, Nick Bitsko is another high ceiling uh, option that they could have gone with. Tyler Soderstrom is the last name I'll talk about here in the first round that I thought was a really interesting one because they're kind of weak at catcher in the system. There were just so many higher upside options than either of these two players that at the end of the day, it left me kind of underwhelmed because those were the two. You could have gotten the four and five guys without doing that strategy. It, it, it really came down to like, what do you prefer? Blaze Jordan and Nick York or one of those guys that we talked about? I'll give them this. Um, I think there's. I don't think you should ever be drafting with while thinking about 
positions too much. Like I don't think Costas and Dalbeck should really come into play at all. Worst case scenario, you just yeah. have a bunch of really good players and you can deal from there. And I think that's the best thing that the Red Sox in particular can do because they I feel like they have such strengths and weaknesses with their development staff where ideally you just take the players, you feed into your own strength, and hopefully everybody develops well, and then you can kind of maneuver pieces if you have a creative GM like they hope High and Bloom is, and he can kind of turn those and fill those holes on the Major League roster. Um, so I will give them credit there because I think that's exactly what they did. I think the two things I would think about with the Red Sox development system right now is hit first, middle infielders, um, particularly ones that might not have the athleticism that you think of for a prototypical middle infielder, but guys who they think could just hit, and especially now with second base. I mean, I, by all accounts, I think that York should be a pretty good defensive second baseman, but with shifting, you don't need to be all that great there anyways. So if he can hit, he can hit, and the Red Sox have developed that a lot. And then, I mean, you already mentioned with Dahlbeck and Casas and Chavis before that, they've been doing pretty well lately with uh, power hitters that have come in to professional baseball with some hit tool questions and kind of figuring that out. So... Um, I think there is something to be said about leaning into your strengths, and they did do that. It's still not a strategy I love, but I can see some sort of rationale from that lens, at least. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. I, I do agree with that, Matt. Um, Keaton, I want to swing over to you for a second. When they did take York or when they did take Blaze, were there any players on the board still that kind of stood out to you as guys you wish they had gone for rather than who they took? Yeah. Um, well, you touched on Nick Bitsko. Uh, he was my number one target that um, I reviewed with Matt in our draft preview that I would like to seen the Red Sox go after that could have really made a splash. And it's kind of a double whammy. Not only did they pass on him, he landed at Tampa, who is in your division and is notoriously successful for developing high ceiling pitching. So that's not great. Uh, not really looking forward to that because he'll probably, in short time, be mowing down. Goodness, he'll be traded after added. three years in the majors. <laughs> that too, yeah. <laughs> Won't make it through the full six or whatever the control plan is after the new CBA. But, I mean, he's a guy that I think really could have popped. Not only helped the um, the farm system at a position that they don't really have a lot of interesting talent at um, in terms of pitching, uh, and also could have been that like name that pops as that like could be replacement for kind of like Michael Kopech, like top of the farm uh, lightning rod prospect. I was really hoping that was the way they were going to go. It turned out not to be the case. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Those are those are two great names. That you know, it also hurt me too. Is before Nick York went, the the two bullets that hit me right in a row were the Phillies picking Abel and the Cubs picking Howard. Both of those guys were guys I was really hoping would be around when the Sox picked. And then it took 40 minutes for them to actually announce the pick. The Red Sox pick? Yeah. Yeah, what was up with that? That, just, that was the, the longest was not week. worth it. Yeah, it was, come on. <laughs> like, oh, I was man. expecting, I was like, all right, this is taking forever, but we're going to get a good name here. It was great. We're going to get there. And then they took York, and I was like, this seems just like a massive waste. They couldn't what have channel did you guys watch it on? I was flipping back and forth. Honestly, I was trying to figure out which one I liked better, and I liked different things about both broadcasts. ESPN was doing these comparisons um, on exit velocity and just like different stat cast numbers, major league players, and it was the most outrageous thing I think I've ever seen. Who was the player they compared <laughs> to Mike Trout on exit velocity? I don't remember. It was like the 
it was like a second round pick. And they're like, this guy with a hitting with a metal bat <laughs> had a couple of exit velocities the same as Mike Trout. <laughs> it's like, cool, that's useful information. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about Nick York here for a second. So this this first round pick, um, even though we were all shocked by the pick, he's a guy who was kind of ranked all over the place um, by a bunch of different publications. MLB had him 139. BA had him 96. Perfect Game had him all the way at 236. So he wasn't extremely highly ranked, but then the comments by the Vanderbilt coach, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, saying that he is was the best hitter in the country amongst high schoolers, that was really kind of telling, and that fits in with what you were talking about, Matt, about the hit first middle infielder. And that actually was pretty encouraging. And the more that I read up on Nick York, the more I did actually like the player. And had they picked Nick York in the third where they took Blaze Jordan, I would have been psyched. And But it seems like he would have been a hard sign and they were worried that he was going to be gone by then. Yeah, I don't think there was any chance he would have worked as a third round pick. Like you said, either, either he wouldn't have been there or if he was, um, especially if they picked somebody more that would have signed for at least slot in the first round, they wouldn't have had the money to get him to sign away from his college commitment, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Arizona. Arizona. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, it was, if they, they really liked him and that's another thing in the draft, like you got to pick your guy as much yeah. as, as much as it might pain your fans, AKA me, if you have a guy that you really <laughs> like, you got to do it. And yeah, I mean, some of these quotes about Nick York, being the best hitter in the country and stuff like that sort of feels like the quotes that you hear when you're just like a surprise pick in any sport comes and then all of a sudden it's like all right i gotta search for the people that'll say the most outrageous nice things i can hear about him so i kind of take quotes like that a little bit hyperbolic quotes with a little bit of a grain of salt but i do think that there has been a common theme about him being a very good hitter and one who I mean, it's not just he has a good hit tool. He also has a really good approach, and that's just something, especially with this weird summer where he's not really going to be able to get that professional coaching maybe that you would expect a pick to get right away. Um, To have that kind of base already set in, I think, is a little bit of an advantage that isn't really something you usually have to worry about. Maybe he can be the Red Sox version of Jalen Brown. Uh, That would be outstanding. Yeah, I'm not nice. getting my hopes up for Jalen Brown. But. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Um, Keaton, I, I want to ask you because, you know, over at the Dynasty Guru, you're always looking at prospects. Which of these two players do you think has more ceiling to them between Nick York and Blaze Jordan looking at their two profiles? Because I think even though Nick York probably ends up with a little bit more money, I think the Red Sox probably view these guys kind of similarly. And if we're looking at rankings too, not that this matters to the team at all, but MLB had Blaze at 42, BA had him at 90, Perfect Game had him at 35. So he had quite a bit more hype. Perfect Game had him at 35? 35, yeah. That's crazy. I mean, do you... Pipeline had him at 40-something. Uh, yeah, 42, so that, yeah, that's MLB, yeah. MLB Pipeline had him at 42. But I'm, I'm going to open this up to, to both of you guys. Um, maybe Keaton hit this one first. But who do you think has more ceiling out of these two? Yeah, I think it's Blaze. Um, just electric power like that usually tends to carry a ceiling. And then it's I mean, he has a much lower floor. Um, they're kind of stereotypical for their builds like massive power first base only can have massive upside like a joey gallo where we could see you know a 220 but 50 dingers or um somebody with like a a really high floor like york because of his hit tool and his approach that he doesn't necessarily need any like sparkling carrying tool Although what is concerning is his shoulder surgery and where eventually he will end up playing. Uh, They feel confident that he'll be able to play at second base, but um, in the last full season that he was able to play, he was a DH only the entire season, which is a little bit concerning. Um, Well, that's only because he was recovering from surgery. Yeah. And then, so we didn't really get to see him this spring to see how he's been recovering, but I think that's something to keep an eye on that, like... um, if he ends up, shoot, the guy for the Rockies, I can't remember his name now. Not Rogers, but Daniel uh, Murphy. No, Garrett Hampson, the kid. Oh my God, Forrest Wall. Oh yeah, okay. Similar, That's going back similar, a few years. Yeah, real, but really similar profiles. Uh, yeah. Hit first, carrying tool. Uh, both played shortstop. Shoulder surgery It's going to force them to second base, and uh, Forrest Wall really hasn't been able to make. Uh, the most of it, but it's bouncing around um, the Blue Jays organization last year. What's that? Forrest Wall, Blue oh, yeah. Jay last year. Right. We got the number one Forrest Wall fan on the podcast. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody needs a fan, man. <laughs> so it's just something to keep an eye on. But with his hit tool, I mean, he certainly has the higher ceiling or higher floor. But the higher ceiling is just the gaudy power of Blaze. Will be able to put on a show, which is going to you know be very enticing. Where do you land on this, Matt? I think it's York. Um, I mean, yeah, the downside is certainly there, but if we're talking about ceiling, the ceiling would be at least second base. There's still some hope, I think. From I've seen some, a little bit of optimism that he can go back to shortstop. I wouldn't count that into his ceiling because the Red Sox themselves said that they see him at second base so I wouldn't even consider that but even so we have a middle infielder a very good hit tool obviously the approach we already talked about I would think I'm not as worried about the shoulder as you are I guess maybe I'm being naive on that you kind of scared me a little bit um but I was still <laughs> saying at least if we think about uh it's okay uh, I'm easily scared uh, 
if, at least if we're thinking about ceiling, like that definitely involves him sticking at second base. And as far as the fielding, taking away the arm, just the covering ground and all that, he's can certainly be at least average, maybe a little bit better than average at second base. And then you offensively, he can be very good. And I mean, I've said it a million times. If I'm betting on anybody to outperform their power projections a little bit, it's the guy who has the hit tool and the approach. So even if he has like average raw power, that's playing that can play as average in game power. So, I mean, I think I obviously see the ceiling with, uh, Blaze Jordan, but I mean, if Nick York hits a ceiling, and we should always say, because I don't want to make it sound like I'm hyping up too much, ceiling is far from the most likely outcome. But a ceiling for a relatively realistic ceiling for Nick York is an all star caliber player on a regular basis. A guy that can hit and hit for solid power, hit for plus average and on base percentage, and play a good second base. I mean, that's just an outstanding player that I don't think a first base profile can really reach unless they're like a top five hitter in baseball. And I'm not sure I'm willing to put that ceiling on Blaze Jordan. Well, the ceiling sounds like a pretty good pick at 17 then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting. The Red Sox do do such a good job of developing position players and, and finding guys like this who are maybe a little undervalued. I'm with you, Matt. I, I do tend to gravitate towards guys with more of a similar profile, Nick York than Blaze Jordan. Uh, I do like him a little bit better. I am a little bit worried about the power uh, developing or maybe not developing, I should say. But the reports are that, you know, along with his hit tool, he does have like this nice two-hand finish and and a little bit of natural loft to his swing. So it's not hard to imagine a right-handed bat with that profile taking advantage of Fenway Park as well. Yeah, I don't really think about draft picks in terms of where they're going to land. Because, I mean... Nick York could get traded easily. I'm just thinking about it in Nojo Park. But yeah, I mean, even especially at Fenway Park, that seems like a profile that would thrive. Especially being able to go all fields and take advantage of right field as well. Yeah. Um, All right, so last two picks that the Red Sox made in this draft. uh, A little bit less interesting, as I mentioned. Two lefties, uh, both college lefties. Um, I'm going to go to you first on this, Keaton. Um, do you have any thoughts or any kind of uh, preference between these two players out of Jeremy Wu Yellen and Shane Drowen as, as one you find more interesting than the other? Yes. Uh, Drowen is much more interesting to me for his ability to strike people out. Um, it's much more effective than Wu Yellen, and um, we like sexy strikeouts here. However... The struggles that he has are not really typical of what you would see from a college arm, which is probably, you know, I mean, if he was more polished, he probably would have gone higher. But he really doesn't have a refined arsenal and also kind of lacks control. The ceiling is there, and uh, from the scouting reports that I read, they all kind of are high on what he could be and what he projects to be, just not what he currently is. He's just really raw for your average 21-year-old college arm that's a little concerning to me but i mean he's with his arsenal he was pretty effective for the college game so i'm just i'm a little concerned but the flashes that he can show is like a high volume strikeout uh kind of starter and those are exciting so i'm much more interested in in draw i'm just not entirely sure he'll get there 
Yeah, that's the thing uh, Paul Taboni uh, said about him that I found really interesting after they took Joan is I think the quote was that he just has so much more much more runway left to develop uh, for a, a college arm than you typically get with guys like that. Yeah. Um, Matt, is that the way you felt as well between these two guys that Joan has a little bit more ceiling there? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think there's a debate. Um, I mean, yeah. I think that's basically just fact. Um, I mean, just to kind of piggyback off what you guys are saying, there's a reason that Drawan is a little bit more raw, and the reason that the Red Sox say that about his runway is that he just started focusing only on baseball a couple of years ago. Um, he was a quarterback in high school as well, so he was kind of a two-sport guy uh, right up until he got to college. So um, just generally speaking, those are the guys that you say get him in front of a professional pitching development team and they can kind of take him to the next level, and that's absolutely true. The only downside to that is we're talking about the Red Sox pitching development team, which doesn't have <laughs> the best track record. Uh, but they, I think yeah. they have been a little bit better the last few years. Um, even just looking back um, last year at a guy like Chris Murphy, who also came out of the draft with big stuff and some major control issues. Um, it was a very small sample size. we got to see more out of Murphy until we can really be totally sold. But he had a very good first taste in the majors. So, I mean, that's a profile that they've had recent success with. Thad Ward was kind of a similar guy as well, although from the right side. Um, so, I mean, I think there is reasons to be optimistic about Drohan. And in terms of, like, pure value, in terms of, like, round where the guy was picked, I think Drohan was my favorite pick of the draft. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is excellent. Um, I was going to ask you guys about your favorite picks of the draft. Um, uh, stepping right on your toes over here. Yeah, you know what? I'm actually with you, Matt, and I'm going to piggyback off, off you. Uh, that is who I was going to say was my favorite pick of the draft, too, because as much as I do like Nick York, and I have come around on Nick York since they picked him and shocked me and made me swear at my TV um, – Shane, Shane Drone is super interesting, and the fact that you know he was ranked 147 by MLB Pipeline, 189 by BA, 104 by Perfect Game, and the more I read about the offerings that he does have that are just inconsistent for all the reasons you just mentioned, they make me really interested in, in, in Drone and his potential development here. Um, Keaton, we'll go with you. What is your uh, favorite pick of this draft? I like Blaze. For not only his power potential, and uh, but it's got a great name. I was gonna say his name is Blaze. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a plus name. Also, I think we should. Like, uh, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that the the graphic, uh, the the video clip of him uh, bumping chests with Mookie Betts is also like very endearing. <laughs> <laughs> that probably hurt a little, huh? I wish I cut you off and then just. Uh, I just, I mean, I feel kind of bad. I want to put a little bit more respect on uh, Wu Yellen. Um, I think he's probably a reliever, but um, I mean, he did show some good stuff in college. He had some big strikeout rates out of the bullpen. In shorter stints, he can get his fastball up to like 95, 96. He's got like this, I love a big slow curveball. And according to scouting reports, he's got the big old slow curveball. And he's got a changeup that's been pretty solid against righties. So um, the control is going to have to be figured out, and he's probably a reliever. But I think he's a guy to keep an eye on, at least, and a guy who could theoretically at least move relatively quickly if they just put him in the bullpen right away. 
I believe he ranked in the top 12 of relievers uh, in college baseball by, I think, Baseball America or one of those publications ranked him as one of the best relievers in college baseball this year, too. So it's, it's not like he was without credentials. And he had that really good outing against Vanderbilt this year, too. Yeah, I um, I don't know where. I mean, Baseball America had him 261 in the draft class. Fangraphs had him 183. Um, I mean, he pitched on the Cape last summer and people were impressed by what he showed off there. Um, so, I mean, he's, he's going to be an underslot guy. He was signed or he was drafted, I think mainly to save a little bit of money and they're going to use a little bit of money on that for Grohan. who's probably going to be a little bit overslot, but um, I mean, in a four round draft, I just feel bad to not talk about 25% of it or a four pick draft. I should say. We also got to get that guy some Twitter followers. He's at like four hundred followers. Will Yellen followed him. Yeah. He, he was, okay. Uh, here's a funny he story about his Twitter. Um, so <laughs> I looked. At, I was looking at his Twitter when he got drafted, and he had a tweet that said, "Wyoming isn't real." That was it. Three words, <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. So I retweeted it, and he immediately deleted it. Oh no! So I don't trust his Twitter game anymore. <laughs> oh no! You got to stand by your tweets, man. That was a hilarious tweet. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, so uh, let's go quickly here. Uh, what was your least favorite pick of the draft, Keaton? Um, you don't have many choices. <laughs> yeah, I really don't. Um, I'm going to go with Wu um, Yellen, unfortunately. Man, it sounds like I hate this kid, and I, I don't mean for it to sound like that. I hope well, he's not listening. a lot of questions, you know? There's, there's a lot of questions with Wu with Yellen right now. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what was your least favorite? I guess Blaze Jordan, just for the reasons I was saying earlier. Just be, it's not really his fault, but just the way that the draft shook out and the way that it sort of put all of this pressure on the second pick. I just would have liked something more than a first base only guy. Yeah, it's it's very fair. I felt similarly there. I I guess I'm gonna go with Nick York, uh, not because I don't like the player, but I just hated where they took him. Don't hate the uh, player, hate the game. Ex- it's exactly what it is. So if, if Nick, for some reason, is listening to this podcast, uh, very nice Thanks. player. Rate and uh, review, please. Yeah, please. Um, but yeah, I just I thought there were so many different directions that they could have gone in that would have been more beneficial for the team. Um, ultimately, he'll probably like become an all-star and I'll love him or something. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, but... Let's get our draft grades before we uh, we we nail up this subject and talk about the uh, the free agent signees. Uh, Matt, grade this draft for me. Well, I already put it in writing, so I can go back on it now. I gave it a C plus. Mm-hmm. It's like a seventy eight. All right, we'll take it. Um, where are you at with this, Keaton? Yeah, I was thinking C. Yeah, well, you hate Wu Yellen, so you got to go after it lower them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a solid C as well. Um, I I just think so. I'm the high man on this draft. I like it. Yeah, yeah. The Red Sox yeah. defender has logged on. Classic Red Sox <laughs> homer over here. Apparently, you just have nothing critical to say about the team I ever, know. Matt. That's what everybody always says about That's you. That's what they always say about me. <laughs> um, all right, so. Uh, we weren't particularly impressed with this draft, but one one way that the Red Sox could make up some ground here on other teams, and one of the things that I think is really interesting, 
uh, in this whole thing. And interesting meaning that it is actually intriguing, not that I like it because I think it's shitty that these players have to come into Major League Baseball this way, but being able to give out $20,000 unlimited to whoever you want uh, is interesting. And the fact that these players have a little bit more agency in choosing who they sign with I also think is interesting. And the Red Sox have already signed, what is this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten guys um, to to these deals. Uh, I'll read some of the guys here. Um, and and I, I think that, you know, the Red Sox might have a leg up on some other teams because they have had success uh, with player development, especially on the hitting side. So I think that that's attractive to players. But the, the flip side is there's a lot of opportunity here um, for for these guys. You know, with pitchers, they see that there's plenty of opportunity in this system. With hitters, there's a lot of places where the Red Sox aren't particularly strong in the minor leagues. This seems like a pretty attractive place to come if you're uh, one of these guys that's signing for 20 grand. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, I think a lot of it also comes down to just relationships that guys had with scouts um, at other points, although I thought that might be more of a factor than it actually was. One of the guys, I haven't looked at any of the most recent four players that they signed. I did write about the six that they signed on Sunday. One of them had been drafted by the Red Sox before. I thought that that was going to play a bigger role than it ultimately has. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different reasons. Um, One of the, I think the biggest story from Sunday was... um, Go, moving away from the Red Sox a little bit, the Royals um, crushed it. They got they signed six players as well on Sunday, I believe. It's either five or six, and all but one of them were in Baseball America's top five hundred for the draft class as a whole. Wow! Um, which and if you remember a couple weeks ago, they didn't cut any minor leaguers when everybody else was, mm. and they committed to paying them. Wow! The entire. <laughs> for the rest of what the minor league season was. And when that happened, um, some agents and some players came out and said, yeah, that's going to help them. And the undrafted free agency, like they showed that they're going to take care of their guys. And sure enough, when you treat humans like humans, instead of just assets on a spreadsheet, (laughs) turns out that they might actually sign with you. So uh, hopefully that'll be a lesson to teams moving forward. We'll see. That's the new efficiency. Treat humans like humans. I know it's a It's a wild strategy. We gotta wait a few years to see if it works out. <laughs> um, Keaton, do you think that this made the Red Sox more attractive, the opportunity, or or did you kind of weigh it as like these guys are gonna sign with who they're gonna sign with, kind of regardless? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think if, <clears throat> yeah, I think I just think they were gonna sign with whoever. I don't know, I don't know if it's really giving them a leg up, just like being the Red Sox versus, like, some other teams. But I guess we'll see when – I'm curious to see how long this trickle of undrafted free agents goes and when it really kind of starts to peter out and we kind of can compare, like, entire classes. But at least so far, it doesn't seem like it's really been a leg up. It's just been guys outside the top five kind of were probably already plotting. 
mm. and they were probably kind of already aware of who they were probably going to sign with, and then that's just kind of how it's fallen. Yeah, August 1st is the signing deadline uh, for everybody except for college seniors, so I expect that they'll be signing quite a few guys in between then, uh, and especially because there's no cap, we could see a bunch of these guys getting added to the system. Um, the guys that have already been added to the system, we'll give you a quick rundown here. Uh, a right-handed pitcher from Tampa, uh, Yacinto Arredondo, um, a right-handed pitcher from St. Joe's, Jordan DiValerio, um, a infielder from Fordham, Jake McKenzie, catcher from Puerto Rico Academy, Juan Montero, right-handed pitcher from South Florida, Graham Hoffman, catcher slash first baseman from Florida International, Jose Garcia, uh, right-handed pitcher from Puerto Rico, Henry Nunez-Rio, um, right-handed pitcher from SIU Edwardsville, Cole Millam, um, right-handed pitcher from St. Thomas, Murphy uh Andrew, and right-handed pitcher from Miami, Brian Van Bell. Um, Matt, I'll go with you first. Any of these guys kind of stand out uh, to you as being more intriguing than, than the others? Yeah, so again, I don't know about the four guys that signed most recently, but of the six guys they signed on Sunday, uh, Jake McKenzie from Fordham um, is a really interesting player. Uh, he has just done nothing but hit in college and in the Cape. He's played two summers on the Cape. Um, he entered this season as a finalist for the Bobby Bragan Collegiate Slugger Award, which I had not heard of until this morning, but it goes to one of, it goes to a top college hitter. Um, and it also takes academics and personal integrity into account. So it's not just straight up being a good hitter, but you have to be a good hitter to get it. Um, and before the season got canceled, he was hitting 356, 433, 525. Um, and he has hit, like I said, extremely well in all three of his college seasons. Uh, he can run a little bit. I think there's a little bit of question about where he'll play defensively, but I mean, a guy who's played in the middle infield and has just done nothing but hit as a guy that you're getting as an undrafted free agent. It's somebody that it's a name I'll at least remember, which unfortunately nothing against the other people. It's more about my memory and what I might've done or not done in college than anything that <laughs> they have going against them. But uh, McKenzie is going to be one of the names I remember. Well, I will, I will hop in here with, with one guy who I like very just superficially. Uh, and this is more of me taking a stand on a pitch that I'd like to see thrown more in major league baseball. Uh, I'm a big splitter guy and uh, Jordan DiValerio throws a splitter change up in a breaking ball. So I would really like to uh, see more splitters in Major League Baseball. So I'm gonna I'll also I'll also give a quick shout out to uh Yacinto Arredondo. Um he does the little hop that uh I think was a car caps used to do. Yes. I'm pretty sure it's illegal now. But he it does is. it. By God he does it. <laughs> so it's all, so it's always fun. Like- I watched a video on him. I think it was on the the post that you made, Matt. And I was like, there's no freaking way that this guy can do this for like even an inning at a time. I have no idea. He He looks like he's a tiny tiny person. He looks like he's at Hampton Beach doing that like speed pitch thing. You know know (laughs) what I'm talking about? Like on the boardwalk? (laughs) That's exactly what I do to do the speed pitch thing. And he's doing it every time on the mound. No hey, idea how he knows where it's going. I mean, I, I enjoy it, though. I enjoy watching it, at least. I have no idea. I, again, it's illegal, so he literally cannot do it. <laughs> but I enjoy it. I hope he tries it as much as possible until he gets kicked out of baseball. Yeah. Well, more power to him, I guess. Um, all right. So let's move on here. Um, let's get to our listener questions. 
we have our first question uh, from at con urban he says are we heading towards a total rebuild uh keaton what do you think no i don't think a total rebuild i mean the core of young bats should be enough that it's that dreaded retooling not rebuilding but like a full rebuild to me sounds like they'd be shipping off bogarts uh they'd be taking calls on devers benintendi and i just don't think that's going to happen so they have enough of a core in place now that they should be able to add to it and have themselves a contender they just have so much work to do on the pitching side that's just really the struggle. So, I mean, maybe rebuild the pitching, sure, but the entire team, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you there. Do you have anything to add to that, Matt? Uh, yeah, a full rebuild is what the Orioles, Tigers, Marlins, et al. have done. Uh, that would literally not be allowed in Boston. Fenway would actually burn to the ground, so now they would never do that. All right, and well, it's 2020, so anything can happen. Fair enough. Boston Red Sox asks us, uh, if we finally play this, which of the Boston prospects would be ready to go upstairs by now? That's not a term I usually hear for get promoted. But, I hate uh, that a lot. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Matt? Who would be ready to go up to Boston? Like right away? Yeah. I mean, who, I feel like it wouldn't be anybody different. I guess like some of the, maybe the borderline guys, like a Bobby Dalbeck and maybe a Tanner Houck you would see right away instead, but like, I'm not, I certainly don't think like a Jeter Downs or Jaron Duran or anybody's going to get pushed super hard. Yeah. And I think that overall, this is a negative thing for prospects. This is all misdevelopment time uh, for those guys. It's a bold take, Jake. Yeah. It's a lack of baseball is bad for prospects. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know why we keep you around. Sometimes you just got to say the things that need to step out on that limb. I get it. (laughs) All right, next question. A should have been in Omaha money uh, asks us, would the Red Sox have been better off holding on to Mookie now that the season is shortened? Would potential surprise contender have coughed up more midseason if they got off to a surprising hot start? Uh, Let's go with you, Keaton. What do you think about this one? This is a Mookie question, so I hope it's not triggering for you. Well, I mean... I don't know if I, that could be avoided. But, no, they would not have been better off because no one is going to. So, if we're playing the shortened 48-game season, no one is going to cough up much for him at all to play 48 games or if it's a, air quotes, mid-season of that 48, whenever a trade deadline would be imposed for 20 or less games. No one's coughing up jack for that when they could just sign him for money in the offseason. If they were actually going to spend money in the offseason, which doesn't look like that's going to happen either. But, no, the Red Sox would not have been better off holding on to him. I mean, he would have been borderline untradeable in that scenario, right? Correct. I'm not sure. Maybe that would have been better in my heart for them not getting rid of him. I would have rather just preferred him to be here, so maybe. Are we sure there's going to be trades if they do a 48-game season? I'm absolutely no idea. I have no idea. There may not even be trades. Yeah, they they may have, like, the lead-up, like the spring training time to make trades. Maybe. I, but yeah, I, I, I just mean in terms of, like, because, I mean, they're keeping everything so regional oh, and, like, right. trying to limit the travel. I don't know if they want guys getting traded across coasts. They'd you have know, to have them quarantined for two weeks before they join the new team, probably, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, Chris Needs an Escape from Reality says, what will the 2021 Red Sox roster look like? 
Uh, let's just go with the big changes here because we don't have a ton of time to spend on this particular question. But uh, Mac, give me one big change that the 2021 roster will have, in your opinion. Um, I mean, it, Jesus, this seems impossible to answer. I don't even know if there's going to be a 2020 season. I think well, they trade. I mean, CBA for... doesn't run out yet, right? What'd you say? CBA is not run out yet. No, but I mean, runs out. I don't know. Um, I got one. I I think they're going to trade for a big pitcher in the offseason. I don't know who. Okay. But oh, I went the other way with my. I think JBJ is gone because I don't think they're going to want to pay him. Oh, I don't think that's a big change. I think that's expected. Yeah. Live a little, Keaton. Come on. Yeah, Bogarts gets shipped out. Oh, oh my God. No. Live a little less. No, 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 Jeez, yeah. Don't say that. <laughs> Jesus, can we cut right, that well, out? <laughs> maybe just as big to me, Javis gets shipped out. Uh, okay, yeah. I'll I accept would... that. Yeah, I, I mean, not accept that. I don't like it, but that's an acceptable answer. Um, I will go with Eduardo Rodriguez gets shipped out. I can see it. I don't think I would. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen, but it's not totally out of question. I would be fine with it, depending on how much value they got. All right, next question. Internet Ryan says, totally serious, definitely not hypothetical question. Should the Sox bring Manny back for the shortened season? Poppy with some pinch running help. Um, did you guys see the video of 48-year-old Manny in the cage? I did. I did. Taking some hacks. He looked pretty good. He did. What um, would you do with him? I don't know. Let him I love Manny as a coach, like, and if we're being like honest. And, like, yeah. not silly about it. I'd like to see Manny back in the dugout as a coach. He's been a hitting coach before. I love Manny Ramirez, so I don't have anything bad to say about him. Um, obviously, I don't think he could play in Major League Baseball effectively uh, at 48, um, even though he does look pretty good out there. But, yeah. Did I you mean, see I that picture the Red Sox Twitter account posted of him and Ortiz? Dude, he looked ago. 100. Yeah, he did, that, was, that was frightening. Yeah. He did not look great. Um, Keaton, would you like to see him as a coach, or do you think he'd be a bad influence on players? I do not think he would be a bad influence on I don't players. Either. I'd love to see him in the, in the clubhouse. Yeah, and he was famously a hard worker. Yeah. Yeah, you know, all his um, his Manny being Manny escapades, like, there were definitely negative things about Manny's personality, but being a hard worker and understanding hitting was certainly... Uh, not among those uh, those those detractions for him. He was a major part of the whole idiots culture too. So like keeping keeping people loose in the dugout and focused on the game. I'd love to have him there. He's awesome. All right, Drew Andre has our last question, and he says, "Why can't teams trade draft picks? Would you be for allowing draft picks to be traded?" Uh, let's go with Matt first. What do you think? Do we know the real answer to that? They can trade draft picks. They, they can, can trade, trade the competitive the sandwich, picks, yeah, which shouldn't be a thing anyway. So that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I would absolutely be for trading draft picks. I think that would be great. There's no good reason for them not to, and I honestly don't know the reason. I think it's just to like protect teams from themselves from making bad trades, which is obviously a terrible reason. But I, I really don't know the actual reasoning behind it. I want to say that there was an actual incident that caused this rule to be put in place. I think that there was like an underlying thing where some team traded a lot of its picks or something like that. I could completely. I don't think that's true. I don't think they've up. ever been able to trade picks. I re- I really think maybe there was, you're right. I shouldn't have some, said that because I don't know. 
I don't know either. I don't know why I think this. I'm going to have to do some research on it because it's bugging me now. But, like, I feel like there was something that caused this because it does seem dumb that every other team can do it and, and baseball cannot. That's I guess the interesting thing would be how trading draft picks with, um, like, pool considerations. Like, would, I don't know. Would someone trade for like two top ten picks if that would be essentially all of their pool money? I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, that would basically be what they would be trading for. I mean, we've seen how teams value those picks, and like when they get like the competitive balance picks or they get the compensation picks, it's not even so much about getting that like number thirty six overall pick or whatever. It's what it does to your overall draft pool. Yeah, so I, I guess I think you guys are saying two different things. So Keaton's saying if they just traded for the picks but kept their original draft pool, oh, they would wouldn't. affect the rest of their draft. And you're saying they would acquire the draft pool along with the pick. I think that if they did this, you would have to have the, the pick and the pool slot combined with each other, right? I mean, they are. <laughs> That's how the pool works. Is, isn't it just a sum of your slot values of your picks? Right. So, I mean, I, was, I would assume the slot money goes with it. Nobody would trade for draft picks if they didn't get the slot money with it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how I was imagining that scenario. It's like someone trades for two top ten picks and their entire draft class is two players. Right. Yeah, yeah that would drastically affect things. I, <laughs> that would make it so the teams had to make significantly harder choices. That's but, a good thing. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. I think they should be able to, Drew. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that they should, and for some reason they still cannot. It's weird. It's Manfred and in uh, baseball doing dumb stuff, which One is unfortunately uh, par for the course now. So, you know, um, by next time we talk, maybe we will have a resolution, but probably not because the resolution's probably two weeks away I'm and a sure whole lot of more BS. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, what's what's the saying from Batman? The night is darkest before the day. Is that is that the one? Uh, that's not Batman. That's just <laughs> a quote. It's <laughs> definitely made famous by what? Which Batman was that? The Christian Bale one, the second Christian Bale one, the one Jake. with the uh, no. Joker. It's not that quote is an extremely famous quote that people have been saying for hundreds of years. Who, who said it then? The night is darkest before the dawn. I don't know who said it. Yeah, exactly. If it's so famous, then who said it? Right, Batman. A thoroughly <laughs> embarrassing conversation for you, and I'm just going to let you dig your own grave here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap this one up um, before any more Batman quotes come out. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, if you did, go on, rate and review us, subscribe to the show, um, comment about how great uh this pod is uh you can follow all of us on twitter you can follow matt at matt ry collins you can follow keaton at the spoken keats you can follow me at at dev jake and you can follow the over the monster account at, at over the monster uh, matt what are you working on this week anything good coming out uh i wish you didn't ask that because i don't really have anything to promote except for your year stuff all right um what are you working on keaton Oh, you know, round tables and such. Oh, you're writing about some video games this week. Yeah. What uh, and, uh what game are you going to be writing about? 
Uh, well, so before we get into that, this is a recap of last week. So last week's was our what we wanted the draft strategy to be. And my take was I wanted them to not have a draft strategy, completely blow it up, uh, and just kind of wing it, which seems a little on the nose. Okay, so maybe you nailed it. And, yeah. and, and we got the game one coming out. And then for me, I'm working on my all-time series again. Uh, I have Chris Sale coming out tomorrow. Uh, or today, as you're hearing this, and then I have uh, Smokey Joe Wood uh, coming out on Friday. So check those two out. A couple more early forms. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll be with you at the same time next week. 